Hello, welcome to the Let's Talk podcast from the University of Edinburgh, where we talk about life and all that it throws at you at university, focusing on challenges to our mental health. I'm Harriet Harris, the university chaplain, and today I'm talking to undergraduates Stephanie McNair and Rosie Taylor. In today's podcast, we talk about feeling isolated, the power of shame in keeping us to ourselves and increasing our loneliness, and also how we might grow the courage to make connections. We also talk about the positive side to being alone, solitude and enjoying our own company. It is really nice to be with the two of you. Why don't you each say a little bit about yourselves? So I'm Stephanie, I'm a third year psychology student and I'm from Scotland. I'm Rosie, I'm going into my third year uh, doing zoology here at the university. Um, I'm from England, down south, and I am this year's elected LGBT officer for the university. Thank you both very much. And we're going to be talking today about loneliness, isolation and making connections. I've brought you each a gift because I like to give gifts. Um, This is a poetry book by uh, Mary Oliver, who is a wonderful poet. And I chose this one because she's got a poem in it called Loneliness, which I've put a little mark. Would you want to open it and give it a read, Stephanie? Okay. So... I too have known loneliness. I too have known what it is to feel misunderstood, rejected and suddenly not at all beautiful. O Mother Earth, your comfort is great, your arms never withhold. It has saved my life to know this. Your rivers flowing, your roses opening in the morning. O motions of tenderness. So sometimes we feel that we are not known by another human being um, or that we're not properly connected by another human being or there's not somebody around that we can call on the, the people who we might think of as our people are a long way away or just somehow out of contact with us for one reason or another. Even if they're physically close, we can feel lonely and not connected. So Mary Oliver really gives voice to that, doesn't she? Finds, and she finds her solace in Mother Earth. Um, loneliness, it's such a ripping thing. And there is a kind of pandemic at the moment. Mm. Statistics are huge on loneliness. There was a YouGov... Uh, poll recently saying that amongst um, the millennial generation who are uh, they reckon to be kind of ages 23 to 38 so a little bit little bit older than than the two of you that uh, I think 30 percent of people in that generation say that they are experiencing loneliness this is a, a poll that came out this month and then I was looking at a children's charity poll that also came out this year saying that 44 percent of young people so that would be the generation b- below below the millennials, I think, mm. the, the generation they're looking at, 44% of people saying that they're experiencing loneliness. Um, we see it a lot, though, through the listening service, a lot of people come and say, actually, just feeling lonely. It's not that there aren't. You can feel it when there are people around, can't you? I don't know if you want to say something about that yeah, sort of I mean, experience. I, th- I think it, it's, very, it's very true. I think that sometimes you can be surrounded by people, but if you feel that none of them are really knowing you in your whole sense I, I think I've said before to a couple of people within the university that it, when you feel like you aren't bringing your whole self to the table or when you feel like if you do do that you won't be given a seat um, so when you're not being honest about the way that you feel or your identity or maybe the parts of you that you're most ashamed of those are the parts that you feel most alone within hmm. um, and it can be really difficult especially for young people now who are experiencing um, more and more issues with their mental health and with getting help and support for it um, it's very difficult sometimes to feel like you can bring your whole self to the table. And when you're not doing that, you feel like no one really knows you. Yeah. So there are huge bits of you not known because mm. you haven't shown them. Mm. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. And you're not showing them because... 
I think it's mostly a fear of, um, I think it's mostly shame. And you talk about guilt and shame, and I think there's very different things. And, and, and guilt is an emotion that you feel when you have done something wrong or something hasn't gone right. And guilt is kind of a warranted emotion. I think shame is a very much unwarranted emotion. And shame is something that um, really destroys people and really, really is very, very bad and detrimental for our mental health and our well-being and our opinions of ourselves. Um, I think a lot of people feel that they will be shamed. And even if they don't feel they will be shamed by others, they feel an internal sense of shame about those things. And I think that um, within like identity, and I definitely look at this from a lens of um, being LGBT, I prefer to call myself queer, but being LGBT and thinking about... Um, the shame that's attached to that word and that identity, whether that's actually something that's put on you by other people or it's something that you put upon yourself because of what we've been taught to believe. Mm. Um, I think there is a lot of shame around um, mm. mental health, but also there's shame, ironically, around feeling lonely. You feel kind of like well, you lame yes. and a loser and yeah. like rubbish. Yeah, yeah. Like you just kind of judge, like if you, you can sometimes judge yourself for feeling lonely and that can just make you feel more like isolated um, so that process of judging yourself yeah is going to make you even less want to show yourself isn't it less want yeah. to sort of come come yeah. forward and say hello this is me because you're hiding yourself away yeah it just kind of feeds yeah. into like the beliefs you have about yourself and like yeah. you know yeah things like that yes so um Varda Agarwal has written a book called um Belong and for that she interviewed a whole range of people from CEOs to um, students, um, taxi drivers, teachers, all sorts, a whole range of people, all of whom said the same thing, which is that it sounds needy to say that you're lonely. <laughs> so that that's the shame bit, isn't it? I don't want mm -hmm. to come across as, as needy. Yeah. Um, and, and yet it is a fundamental human need that we have connections with people. It's not, it's not just uh, something that we would think would be quite nice. It's actually a need. Yeah, it's a biological that, need. It's about, yeah, that's very true. And um, I, I think the the background that um, that I have really um, within the university is engaging in a lot of peer support. I set up Welcome um, with a lot of really amazing people to help um, STEM students uh, and students who really are feeling lonely find spaces to connect. But um, it is an, an incredibly important part of our lives is to have connection and actually on a purely biological and chemical level that the hormones and the substances that your body releases when you have a feeling of being safe and of being looked after and nurtured is so key to being well physically and mentally that really we talk about loneliness being a killer and it's true mm -hmm. a lot of older people um are really lonely and a lot of older people get really ill and a lot of young people are seeing increasing rates of well, increasing reporting of mental health problems. Um, and I think a lot of that's coming down to, to loneliness um, in in a sense, whether it's like a, a loneliness that's being created um, by the way that we think or whether it's like a, a real physical loneliness and not being physically there with people in the moment. So it's interesting speaking to you as a biologist who understands the the hormones, yeah. the endor is it endorphins I, I, that we get yeah, from I, connection with others. Yeah, I think, I mean, yeah. I, I'm no like expert on the matter at all, but mm. a, a lot of um, the mental health support that I've received has been very focused around um, my PTSD and um, a lot of the, 
the the ways that we talk about how PTSD and how anxiety and, and depression manifest is through like the levels of oxytocin mm. and the levels of different dopamine and feel good hormones and SSRIs, which are um, basically the your the way that your brain uh, uses and processes serotonin yeah. and all these like feel good chemicals that they're yes. always talking about on like TV and like buzzwords and stuff. It, it's very much that when you are feeling in an environment of being safe and nurtured and being cared for, you release oxytocin. It's the same thing we actually release when we cuddle like small animals and mm. um, to having like pets and stuff. A lot of people do that to kind of assuage loneliness a little bit. It's really interesting stuff, yeah. yeah. So that physical touch is actually thinking about Mary Oliver's poem. So she got that from the earth. So she wasn't connecting with another human being. And in the poem, she wasn't connecting with... Um, an animal either but she was finding that sustenance from feeling that mm-hmm. there's some something akin to her she could the nature's relating to her the mother earth is, mm-hmm. is relating to her and she's got something that's kind of got her back you know I, I had a really interesting conversation with um a colleague who who was having to very intensively look after a family member mm-hmm. and because of this wasn't able really to leave the house for any length any significant length of time for six weeks so nipping to the shop to buy a pint of milk was the extent of it. And um, she said she very powerfully had the notion that when she she really needed some support at one point, she was exhausted and thought she was going to fall over. And so she leant back against the wall and the wall was her support. And she thought, something has got my back. <laughs> so, something it, was, it wasn't a person, but it was enough to feel that she there was some support there, that mm-hmm. the wall has got her back. So that's a very physical thing. Stephanie, you have had the experience of having a year out and therefore coming back to university to a year group that was different from the one you started with. Could you tell us a bit about how that was? So that was quite difficult. Um, Yeah, I found that really hard because I didn't know anybody, obviously, when I came back, like in my year group. And uh, yeah, I kind of had like mental health issues in my first year. So like I didn't really make any friends anyway. And so, like, coming back into a new year group was just quite overwhelming. It was just quite difficult, really. Mm. Obviously, because kind of people already have kind of their connections and, you know, things like that. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of difficult. So were you coming back into a situation where you felt other people are already established? Yeah, exactly. Okay. I didn't really feel like I could, you know. It was probably just all kind of in my own head, but um, I kind of felt like I couldn't really, you know, I don't know, I just didn't want to, I just felt too kind of, too shy to like, you know, like kind of talk to anyone new really because people already, I don't know, I just felt people would have been like, like, who are you kind of thing, you know? So yeah, I mean, these are just probably just beliefs I have, but it did feel just kind of hard for me. Okay. And um, what would you say about that now? I don't know, I feel like I have, I maybe did kind of judge myself a little bit too much and just kind of, I should have kind of been a bit easier on myself kind of. But you're judging yourself now. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It's. I mean, in a way, you want to say, well, it's not surprising that was hard, you know, to g- give yourself... Uh, yeah, like, um, yeah, I've kind of over time kind of realised, mm. like, it was kind of a hard situation and mm. I could have... I don't know. Um, do, do, you yes. feel, do you feel you've, you came through it and got to know people or do you feel that the whole year you were... you didn't really know your group? Yeah, kind of the whole year, to be honest. Mm. But, again, like, that's just because of my own mental health. Like, it's, okay. you know... Like I've kind of struggled with like <laughs> connecting with people and things like that okay. as a result. So, yeah. Did you, did you feel like you found 
particular communities that helped you through that like in in getting through that first year coming back was there anything and sometimes it can feel like a real like you can feel it physically when you you find it but did you find something that helped you through that well I did have like support like um, I just kept in touch with other people close to me like my family and yeah other people close to me in my life kind of thing but but yeah I have been kind of struggling with like loneliness and isolation and things like that for a while but you know it's it helps me to realize like I'm not alone at all and talking about it like I find, I find quite helpful mm-hmm. I think you can like make connections by just talking about these things so. absolutely yeah. and often when we're when we're when we're feeling vulnerable or we speak about the things about which we feel vulnerable we make the deepest connections with people because that's when we're most honest and mm-hmm. you know you have an honest connection then and um you know, if if some people can be quite unapproachable if they're not vulnerable, <laughs> you know, it's quite yeah. quite difficult, isn't it? If somebody's yeah. um, presenting nothing of 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 what they find challenging, or nothing of what they find difficult, and nothing of what they find hurtful. I think that by um, talking about it, we we really we disempower that feeling of shame. Though yes. I think that yeah. that shame is only really so strong when it's in your head, and no one no one is showing you that it's okay to talk about it. I think when we bring up these subjects and we're really honest about them, even though sometimes we're hearing the same thing from a lot of different mouths, actually each time we hear it, it gets a little bit less shameful inside our own heads. Yes. I think that's the power of hearing what other people are saying and having them share their stories. Um, but also when you do it and you share something that feels shameful to you and you're met with kindness, you kind of don't really feel that shame as much mm-hmm. anymore. I think that had been a big thing for me in my first sort of two years at university is learning that when I spoke about these things, people only ever really responded to me with kindness. I'm sure there are probably some not so nice things said, um, not that I ever saw them, but um, it was always met with compassion. And I think that that is incredibly powerful because each time I felt that, I unlearned this feeling that was like, people are going to think these bad things about me. And it began to get less and less powerful in my own head, that voice that was my inner critic, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I love what you said about you you, you were able to unlearn things because really what we're doing is is coaching our shame, I think. I think we, we can perhaps make friends with our shame because it's, it's not our enemy. It's there to... Shame has a job, which is to protect us. Our inner critic has a job, which is to protect us. But our inner critic can go about it in a really bullying harsh way <laughs> sometimes <laughs> unless we coach it um but what your the, the job of shame is to protect you um so in times gone past and indeed in many places around the world today as we know um people will be vilified attacked killed for 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 being queer okay so shame has the job of saying don't let those people know because that will put you in danger but then when you're in a context where um, people um, are not going to judge you like that, you can coach your shame and say, thanks for that, but you don't need to make me be quiet in this context. Mm. You know, there's the, it, yeah. it does that job. And sadly, also around mental health, you know, shame has done the job of saying it's not always safe to let people know because sadly it hasn't always been. And we're trying to change the culture so that um, it, it becomes safe to do that but but the but the, the 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 job of shame if you like is is it is there to protect us but it can overwork and it can make us close in on ourselves mm. which is why we need to coach it but i think when we see that it's it, it's got that kind of 
friendly intention, we our action then isn't doesn't have to be we're going to shut you down, shame. We're going to shut you down. It's it's more of a oh okay, I hear you and I can see that you're worried, but you don't have to be worried. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in this context, in this context, it's fine. Um, yeah, it's a lot of positive and, reinforcement, right? It's sort of a not the same as like teaching a dog to do something for a treat at all. We're all more intelligent <laughs> than the dogs. Um, but that that idea that when you do something that feels really fearful and then you mm. kind of sit and think, well, nothing bad is happening mm. actually and I don't mm. need to be afraid. I think fear is a very natural emotion. It's existed for as long as humans and lots of animals have existed to keep us all alive. Exactly, it has a yeah. job. So, yeah. it, you know, it's there for a reason. I, yeah. I don't know if either of you ever felt that you sometimes because of fear and because of shame make yourself lonely as this thing mm, I was thinking about the other day mm. just thinking about that we were going to be talking about loneliness um and I was reflecting on how a lot of times in the past I have made myself lonely and isolated myself to because I feel fearful because I feel ashamed to do that to myself instead of letting someone else do it to me and then I think I that's that's when I know I'm going to be lonely or going to be isolated. And I wondered if either of you have had a time where you have looked back and been like, oh, that's what I was doing. I was shutting myself off. So you mean you'd rather reject yourself rather than let yeah. someone else reject you? And then, yeah. and then, yes. then you're stuck mm. in the isolation, yeah. which you've created, mm. but you're kind of yeah, in it. That, exactly, like I've been through that. It's very hard to deal with. Um, Do you think there's like a, a sign when you, when you know, is there something that particularly makes you shut yourself off in that way? Maybe when I'm not feeling very confident in myself, really, and, like, lacking belief in myself for some reason. Like, grades? Yeah, like, just anything, really. Um, It can just be, yeah, just confidence, really, Mm. in general. It's it's hard to talk about, really. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's hard to put words on it, really. Confidence is an interesting one because it's it's really made up of a lot of different concepts. I think if you try to say what is confidence, yeah. it it might you know it might come down to believing certain things. It might come down to whether you can trust the situation or trust those around you to be there for when you're doing something that you will actually have the relevant support. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll get the backup. You'll get the um, you'll get the rest of the team doing what they need to do. You know, it's confidence. Um, can come down to things like trust and belief. It can be quite hard to unpack otherwise, I think. I think we were living in a space of academia as well, which makes yeah. it tenfold hard because in, in academia, a lot of your confidence is based around this. I mean, we call it like a meritocracy, right? This mm. idea that um, you have to be good and have to have proof that you are able and that you're clever in, in very like structured ways. And I think that because we've created a learning environment where that matters, I think that is often the case in most learning environments. It's not unique to here. Mm. Um, you really get that feeling of um, fear or of lack of confidence, which then you use kind of weaponized against yourself to, to punish yourself and why am I not good enough? Mm. Why am I not doing these things right? And that's sometimes when you make yourself really, really lonely. And that same principle applies to other things in personal lives as to whether you know, you, you're know you like funny enough or pretty mm. enough or wearing the right things or saying the right, the right lines to people. Um, and then it, you can sometimes use that to really hurt yourself with and make yourself feel bad. Yeah. I completely Con- agree. <laughs> constant comparisons, constant comparisons. Yeah, like yeah. there's just so many things you can compare yourself like with mm. now. Do you feel that social media has an impact there? <laughs> yes, do, you do. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Do you use social media much, Stephanie? 
Um, not so much anymore. Like I used to use it more, but yeah. I don't. I don't use it as much now because I, I. I have noticed like it does does impact me and how I feel huh. about myself. So I just don't it's really use it as that much. You're taking that decision to like not use it as much. Yeah. yeah, it just you just kind of need to take some control sometimes. And I mean, it can be hard to to recognize maybe if you. I don't know. You know, there can be so many things that kind of pe- impact your how you feel about yourself. But, um, you know, social media use can be quite just un- uncontrollable like the way mm. you use it so um learning just to take more control be more conscious like it can actually help definitely conscious is a really good word for that I, I think yeah. I have over the last couple of years like really um curated like the the kinds of content that I look at yeah um that's really important yeah it is yeah and yeah. I feel I feel like now I'm in a really good space where I, I don't really use Facebook unless like I need to do something on there because I find mm-hmm. that I just get like lost in other people's narratives mm-hmm. and I'm just like scrolling through and that I'm actually lonely when I'm doing that because I'm not actually speaking to them I'm not reaching mm-hmm. out to them um, and often seeing people doing really great things what you're seeing is like a highlight reel of someone's time mm-hmm. um, made, made me feel really lonely and really like lame and isolated um, and I kind of now really only use Instagram just because I've very much like curated that so that I follow people that like I want to see things that they're producing. I want to see art. I want to see um, like interesting texts. I want to see like yeah. things that make me think. Yeah. Um, but like I have to be careful with that as well. Like I don't know if you like watch how much screen time you use. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I try and keep it as low as I can. Really. It's got like it now tells you on your phone like how much screen time you're using. But mm-hmm. I think that I've definitely decreased that over the past two years. And now I. Um, my phone can like run out of battery or die or I can just leave it somewhere and like not really bother with it at all and like, it doesn't worry me and mm-hmm. I think I don't really notice how positive that is for me until I'm around someone that's always on their phone uh-huh. and then I'm like come on like engage with me yeah um, yeah so when you say it tells you how much screen time is that specifically the social media time or could it be anything could it be answering emails using your stopwatch I think but it's anything. It's anything. Yeah. So it's just, anything you, just being on the on phone. phone. It okay. tells you yeah. how much time you're spending yeah. doing that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that can be really helpful to mm. to use your phone more wisely, really. Yeah. I think some people yeah. use their yeah. phone uh, definitely as like a... I know when, when you're at like an event, like a social event, a lot of people tend to be sort of like scrolling through their social media, mm-hmm. which... I really try not to do now, but I know that some people use it as like a, a crutch or a coping mechanism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's I don't a think bit that's like a... necessarily a bad thing, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think yeah, I, yeah, it does kind of frustrate me as well when kind of in social situations someone is kind of more focused on a device. Than yeah, being you're in like my face situation. is here. <laughs> yeah. Spend time with me. Yeah. yeah, I like to kind of be in the moment. I don't like having like I don't know. I just like to be in the moment really, and I try and do that more. I think that's true and I think that we lose a lot when we like disconnect from the people that we're around and I know that this like the way we're talking about it now like it can seem very strange to people because it's all about like a lot of the language that we're using is very related to like mindfulness and stuff and some people don't some people don't engage or relate with that but I think that a lot of the the concepts that it comes up with in the language is really helpful in terms of like connection and of being in a moment Mm -hmm. and that sounds really like "Mm, I'm gonna I don't know wear a crystal and like start doing tai chi and stuff like immediately and it has to be perfect and I have to do it right but it is true like it, in terms of whether you're watching um yourself to, to monitor whether you're engaging with people and enjoying what you're currently doing whether you're letting yourself be totally overwhelmed I know that when I'm at feeling at my, least, my most lonely to try and distract myself from feeling really lonely I will be like 
watching the TV and doing like a word search and being on my phone and maybe having something else on in the background. And there were just so many things that I build up to try and dampen that feeling of loneliness that I actually just continue to pull myself in and mm-hmm. get overwhelmed and not be able to enjoy things with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I feel like being more in the moment can just help you to connect more with people. Yes. And yeah. feel more like feel less alone. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think it's just more about kind of doing things like one at a time and like not being maybe on a device as much like in social settings and things like that. I think you're talking about turning loneliness into solitude. You know, solitude <laughs> is a rich experience. I mean, it's being alone, but it's it fills you up. Solitude, it, it yeah. it's enriching. There's definitely yeah, like a balance, it, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, I think solitude can be quite helpful, really. Yeah. Like. Um, like I'm just really quite an introvert so I do need a lot of time by myself mm. Mm. and do so, you enjoy your own company yeah I do actually mm. yeah so yeah. <laughs> I think some people are just like that mm. um, I think it's hard when you're like that then to have the balance between being social and then having your own space because but so tell us a bit about what you what you like about your own company what do you like about being on your own I'm not sure um, <laughs> I think I don't know um I can just devote my energy where I want to, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's maybe mainly. That's actually that's a beautiful way of putting it. Actually, so nobody yeah. else is making demands on you. Yeah. You you can go in a way. You can go deep inside and think, what do I need right now? What do I want right now? Or what am I enjoying right now? Without having mm-hmm. to think, is anyone else judging me or or demanding something of me or mm-hmm. needing me? I can I can sort of pay attention to me yeah so like you can just kind of focus on how you're feeling and kind of you know do what you need to do yeah with that so yeah. you're connecting with yourself and I think you said yeah. Stephanie that connecting with yourself that's actually the perfect basis for connecting with others isn't it yeah I believe so yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean if you know yourself quite well then you can then know how to connect with other people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if you can be friends with yourself you're going to be good friends with other people. Yeah, that yeah. echoes so much something um, my psychiatrist, funny enough, actually once said to me was really that like you, you throughout your life have yourself and that kind of like compassion and, and, and kindness towards your thoughts and how you're feeling is the one thing that you can rely on because other mm-hmm. people may come and go or they may n- understand or not understand, but you will always be able to offer that to yourself if you really try. And sometimes it might not be possible, but you are the one person that will always be there literally in your body with yourself throughout your life and if you can learn how to give yourself just a little bit of kindness when it feels okay to then that's like incredibly powerful because you are the one dependable non-changing factor in your life because as long Mm -hmm. as you are alive you will always be you um and that's something I found really comforting um but I think like you said, there's definitely a real balance between like that alone time and that time with others. And I'm kind of, I'm, I, I wouldn't really necessarily describe myself as an extrovert, but I know that if I spend too much time by myself, I tend to go a little off the rails. So like I try to balance that quite a lot. And I know that um, spending too much time by myself does normally lead to me like getting stuck in a rut of being by myself and of like allowing myself almost too much space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, it's interesting that you said you find it really easy to connect with yourself. Is that more about like knowing how you're feeling? Yeah, so being alone, like, you know, you're more able to sort of be in touch with yourself and think to yourself, you know, and um, be more in touch with how you're feeling yourself and mm. kind of 
Yeah, I, I think it's when we have it's when we have the conversations with with ourselves, isn't it? When the, and the conversation with the different parts of ourselves. So if we think back to um, early on in earlier on in our conversation today about all those bits that you you know you want to reject about yourself, I think solitude is one of those times when you can have a look at those bits. Yeah, see, <laughs> and I think, say you know and welcome them in and, yeah. and and not chastise them. And I think it's really you know, like admirable that you guys can do that because I think that's one of the main things that I'm trying to work on is being able to say like how how am I feeling right now? Okay. Um, and that's something that I think I, I think I find really difficult, mostly because of a lot of the sort of like the mental health um, conditions that like I, sh- I struggle with make it very difficult to figure out how I am feeling in that moment. And a lot of the time I will be very I think like. Um, if I use the word like dissociation and explain that to meaning to people that it's very difficult to um, on in a basic sense it's just very difficult to connect with yourself and your sense of self and how you are feeling um, and a lot of the times with your sense of identity which sounds really confusing but basically just means that sometimes when I'm feeling really lonely and I really want to check in with myself it just I just can't it's kind of like waving at yourself from like the other side okay. of a pane of glass mm. um, and I think that people like could really do more do more work on building their skills to get in touch with themselves mm. so if i'm really helpful is like journaling yeah and like um yeah. writing mm-hmm. thoughts down something yeah, i used to be really, really good at mm-hmm. yeah do you do that yeah that really helps me like that's what i like to do um if i'm feeling really overwhelmed like i like to do that um when i'm by myself mm. um i find like writing down just not thinking too much not too carefully about what i'm writing just just trying to share how i'm feeling but like i'm not you know, I'm not trying to write like a perfect mm. AC or anything. No. I'm just that's really I'm nice. Just kind actually, of just just sharing like to myself like how I'm feeling, and I'm not being judgmental to myself. Yeah, um, that idea as really well helpful. that like our thoughts are just thoughts. They're not necessarily like the truth. Sometimes it helps me to if yeah, I write something absolutely. down, I can look back at it and be like, well, that's stupid. Like, why did I think this? Yeah, thing? exactly. <laughs> like writing yeah. it down, like it just really helps to uh-huh. um, to view it differently. So do, do you like to journal in a sort of stream of consciousness way? That's, that's one quite nice way of, of sort of hoovering out the brain. If, you, if your brain's being quite noisy, that's that's one way of doing it. Get it absolutely. all out there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. I feel mm. like I definitely used to do mm. it that way. And um, in I took a year out between sick form and coming to university because I was very, very unwell. Um, and in that time, I really lost touch with any of that. And I think that just because I was very physically unwell... Um, and very mentally unwell, like I couldn't, I couldn't really connect with that part of my brain that could could do that and like okay. write like a narrative in that sense. Mm-hmm. And I found that like really difficult. And now I'm kind of slowly getting back in touch with that, and it's really nice. Um, but it's interesting because I use mine in very much like an organisational way because part of um, feeling very dissociated is just getting confused about what you're doing, <laughs> like in a day to day sense. So I very much like lay out what I need to get done. Um, and I know that for me, when I become isolated, sometimes I let that slip a bit. Um, and when I'm feeling really lonely, I tend to like not think about the things I need to be getting done. And sometimes like having that routine helps me to feel as though I'm not lonely or isolated because I'm kind of interacting mm. with whether it's things or like tasks I need to do or people. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of used it in a more like, these are the things that I need to get done and this is how I'm going to organize them. But I'm definitely 
trying to get back in touch with writing it in that more kind of like stream of consciousness way as okay. well. But mm. I'm so interested in what you said about the organising and the routine because actually those are social things, aren't they? Mm. They're things that you are doing, even if you're doing them on your own, you're doing them because you are part of society yeah. and, in, and actually interacting with others and therefore this, so that's why yeah. these things need doing. And, yeah, I started yeah. doing it mainly because um, the Student Disability Service is like one of the things that has, has genuinely made my experience at university possible like in, mm. any, in any fashion because... Great to hear. Um, mm. Yeah, my um, uh, mental health mentor at the disability services is so helpful and because I get very confused on dissociation, I just end up not going to things or like just it seems like I'm just being really like careless but like I just don't know what's happening um, and he really like sat me down and was like you really ought to think about doing it this way and I think it would really help you and I started doing it and immediately like my grades and like how I was feeling really started to improve and um, I started to feel a lot less lonely because I almost had a way of documenting the things I had done with other people and like being like, oh, well, I did do something with someone. It's here. Like I've written it down. Um, and I think that that is really helpful. And mostly isolation, I think, is something that I put myself in when I feel like ashamed or feel guilty. Um, and having like an objective way of being like, well, actually, I have done these things and I am around people I am doing important stuff has like really opened my eyes to being a bit less harsh on myself mm. in a way mm. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and again so just as we need to coach shame we also need to coach our inner, inner judge don't we mm. yeah <laughs> but, I mean you, know, you can end up going it's... the other way though as well and you can end up like giving yourself way way too much to do and yes. then like crashing and burning and then you get really lonely again which is, it's like hard. Because really you burnt impossible. out and exhausted. Yeah, yeah, it's impossible to find like a, a good midpoint, I think, sometimes. Well, on that, I wondered, Rosie, if you could tell us a little bit about Christmas. Oh, yes, Christmas, indeed. Uh, yeah, I, I think one of the times that I really um, get lonely uh, is, is during the holiday season. Um, and I don't go, so I came from back from down south, so about six hours down south. Um, study at Edinburgh and I don't go home over Christmas and I didn't last year um, and I find the holiday period like one that's extremely stressful for me and probably for my mental health is a really rough time and I know that and I've like identified that um, and that's a really good first step to anyone that feels that that is a problem is just to acknowledging that it is yeah. an issue um, and I find Christmas to be quite like a lonely time because I've never had a particularly stable or like positive um, relationship with a lot of members of my family um that Christmas can be really really lonely um and really difficult and I think that that's when social media as well becomes important because I see people posting these like really nice like holiday and Christmas and like everyone's sitting around eating dinner and stuff and I kind of feel an overwhelming sense I guess of like loss or sadness and kind of almost a little bit if I'm not if I'm gonna be honest a little bit of bitterness um that mm-hmm. like I can't have that um but Christmas is a time when I feel really lonely um and it it's it definitely is like a shameful thing like I feel almost like the two of you are lovely so I don't feel weird saying it here but I think if I was to say to someone like I get really sad and lonely around Christmas and Christmas adverts make me cry I feel like I would feel shame in saying that and I think that um by sort of coming out and saying like I feel really alone in those times and I tend to spend that period even when friends are sort of saying like do you want to come and spend Christmas with me do you want to do this thing or that thing I think I preemptively shut myself off because I don't want 
to experience like a rejection or I don't want to feel like I'm needy or like a loser and feeling needy is kind of the the ugly aunt of loneliness and that mm. you think if you admit that you're lonely you'll be needy um yeah it's something that I've always found it difficult to think about and um and talk about but I know that a lot of students will feel that way and a lot of students don't have a home to go back to don't have a family to spend Christmas with um whether it's Christmas or just the holiday periods more generally um and the university does kind of shut down so it can be really lonely place so I wonder if an offshoot of this podcast would be to invite um students to to write in to say if they spend Christmas on their own because it would be good to know how many Mm. do so you know you stay up in Edinburgh don't you yeah you stay in your student flat yeah, yeah and and last year actually um we did a, uh, we ran, at Three Welcome, we ran like a Christmas um, dinner and like overwhelming amounts of people showed up to the point where I couldn't cook enough for all of us and it was very stressful. <laughs> um, but it was really nice to have that and I'd never mm. had that before, that like positive, nice Christmas thing. And it was very like an emotional experience. Um, but it really opened my eyes that like a lot of people are going through that um, yes. and yeah. having that that kind of like isolation whether it's over the summer or during the holidays um yeah so what a lovely response that you made to that that you 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 did something proactive yeah I mean my so oven you... wishes that I didn't because okay. it was rough cooking okay. all those things but but yeah so it, that's yeah. between you and your oven yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you took a step did it feel like a risk at the time to say will people come and have a Christmas meal with me yeah did it feel I, yes risky? definitely yeah. okay. um but, but you took that risk yeah, yeah and I think like um living in a, a student flat and like moving out of halls mm. even though there are a lot more people in halls was uh, a really big thing for me because something that really helps me to combat my loneliness at the moment is like living with close friends who like know all about me and like understand um I'm building a home that like if I'm honest with myself I never had okay. it's really really positive yeah so this is, I mean, that's a real learning. Um, I mean, we learn from things we have and we learn from things we don't have. And sometimes mm. we learn more from the things we don't have, don't we? Mm. Because we learn that we would want to do something differently. And so you're putting things in place as a response to some things you didn't have. And in, in being proactive, you've been able to draw other people to you. So that was a risk worth taking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. And sometimes, you know, sometimes we don't, we hold back. But if you ask yourself, well, what's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could have happened when you had that idea to invite people around? Yeah, I mean, really nothing. Okay. Okay. <laughs> when I, when I like yeah. when I think about it, and I think mm. I don't know if this that like, rings true with you, Stephanie, but like that that worst that worst case scenario thinking is like you can't think objectively when you're feeling, especially if you struggle with like mental health issues. It's really hard to think objectively. Like, well. Well, yeah. What what's the worst thing that could happen? Because you come up with like all kinds of things. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very hard to think objectively sometimes. Okay. Yeah, but the but if we got if you've got some sort of take home messages, uh, one would be you can put yourself out there. Yeah, you can take a risk. Yeah, because, I think put yourself out yeah. there, whether mm. it's like into new communities, um, into finding friends, into finding a partner, into um, making yourself vulnerable, which is really, 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 really hard, mm. really hard, for, mm. especially for. Um, people that struggle with like mental health issues or maybe are from like a community that's received quite a lot of like hatred and um, quite a lot of marginalization. And, you, and, and if you don't know what reaction you're going to get. So it's sort of testing the waters a bit, isn't it? Thinking, well, what mm. reaction will I get? I, don't know, I know these people a little bit. Is it okay to put the um, 
put myself out a little bit mm. with these people, put myself out there a little bit, take the risk. Yeah. yeah. I think we do need courage. I think we need courage to make friends. Actually. Yeah, it's very difficult. Yeah. Um, I feel like time can sometimes just help to like okay. gradually make more and more connections. You know, okay. I feel like, at least for me, like it's not, I'm just going to go out and make loads of connections. Like it's just gradually, you know, kind of you become more comfortable with opening up to people. So and, time has really helped for you. Yeah. Say. And mm. just, just learning really that you can be yourself around people slowly and slowly making connections that way. So yeah, like in terms of making connections, you know, don't have the expectation of, I want to connect with loads of people, you know, just make it just one person and then, mm. you know, build it up if you can. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. equally as well, like you yeah. won't be best friends with everyone that you no. meet. And no. like a big thing for me at uni was accepting that and being like, well, some people I won't always be friends with and friendships also change. And just mm-hmm. because one connection changes or doesn't work out doesn't mean that you are lonely or you are isolated. It's that you're not meant to be best friends with everyone. I think in freshers as well, like I really got here and was like, someone said to me and it was the best advice I've probably gotten at university um, from like a, another student and not like a professional. <laughs> it was like, a, just be aggressively you. And like, there are so many people at the university that you will find someone that likes that. And that's fine. And like, then you're being true to yourself. And you... You, not everyone you meet in Freshers' Week or not everyone you meet when you first get here and not even everyone you live with a lot of the time you will like or be best friends with and that's okay. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Like there's just so many people like you're going to find someone that, you know, gets you yeah. and likes you for that. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think that's a terrific, a terrific place to end. So you will find your people eventually. Mm-hmm. Allow time to work its work. Its work. Some things take time. Um, have some courage put yourself out there take a little step it could be a saying to somebody should we have a coffee after the lecture or should we have a catch-up at the end of the week um take that little risk what's the worst that could happen i guess the worst that could happen is that that they might politely say no (laughs) not the end of the world (laughs) in which case they're not your person really but you'll find someone who'll say yes that'd be great i'd love to do that so glad you asked i'd be longing for someone to (laughs) i'm Mm. glad you had the courage i hear that quite often i'm glad you had the courage to say hi because i didn't have the courage thank you so much to you both and uh, here's here's to here's to here's to both of you into friendship. Thanks. Okay. All right. Thank you. If any of the issues in this broadcast have affected you, and you'd like support, here are some helplines. First, if you feel that you or someone you are with is in danger right now, please call nine nine nine. There is a mental health assessment service for those in or near Edinburgh, which can be contacted on, o one three one. 537-6000. For phone consultations, there is also Breathing Space, which can be contacted on 0800-838587. The Samaritans, 08457-909090. The Edinburgh Crisis Centre, you can telephone and you can also visit physically. Their number is 0808 801 0414. For university support, Nightline offers student support and information. Their number is 0131 557 4444. The university staff or student counselling services and the university listening service offer daytime and some evening support and we can both be found on the university website.